You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Good morning, Bob. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, get things started a little bit later than usual. Um, and I think everybody who's here already knows, but if you're listening on the recording later, we're slightly delayed because Aaron is fulfilling prophecy yeah. and uh, uh, killing a serpent with the uh, heel of his boot. Actually, with the a heel shovel of my shovel. Half. The heel of my broken shovel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm um, so glad that you guys are joining us here for our uh, in-person service. It's really nice to get a chance to do this every once in a while. And um, yeah, and for those of you uh, watching and listening later on, I'm uh, really excited about what we're doing in this um, series that we're in as we're talking about kind of how we all have been to this place that we are now. Um, so I thought... Um, we would, of course, open our service in prayer. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, God of transformations, thank you for bringing us to a space where we can experience what it means to be in community, in faith, in new and different ways from where we've started. You've brought us on such long journeys of transformation, and I'm so thankful that this journey is one that is still just beginning. Um, whatever that means for us here at Central, for each one of us in our own lives, I just pray an openness in our hearts and in our minds as we're continually challenged and confronted to move and grow, to be more fully the presence of your light and love in this space and this world. Bless this time together as we come together for this Eucharist meal, whether we're gathered here, meeting virtually, or listening later on. Thank you for the ways you make us community uh, so far apart in different spaces and different times together. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, um, we will be, uh, as part of our uh, service here, sharing in a Eucharist meal uh, afterwards and uh, as, uh, as the end of this service. And if you're joining us uh, virtually, um, we'd love for you to partake in the communion aspect of that uh, from your homes as well. So whatever you have for communion elements, uh, whatever is communion for you this morning, um, go ahead and grab those things because we'll be doing that a bit later here in the service. Um, this morning I wanted to share with you a, a prayer from Sarah Bessie, and it's called a benediction, but again, um, it is just, a, I think, a beautiful way of setting up what it means to have gone through the journeys of transformation and faith and kind of to be open to where God's taking us in the future. Um, let's pray. God of prayers for parking spaces and prisons, 
of hospitals and holidays, of anger and angels, of traveling mercies and tired ones, of decolonization and deconstruction, of wilderness and wandering, of feast and ferocity, of goodness and grief. We come to you today with our whole selves. God of our honest prayers and more honest silences, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our hearts to understand how you're already here with us. Mother God, gather us as a hen gathers her chicks and let us catch our breath for one hot second and remember how you hold this world in your kind, capable, wise hands. Spirit, when we cannot part the weeds of our own traditions and our old languages, when the old pathways of prayer feel choked, would you make paths in the wilderness for us to find you in new ways, new words, new practices, new permissions? Would you meet us in the wilderness and set our feast? We are hungry and thirsty. We are grateful for mostly every moment that brought us here. Help us to sink down into your love, to push our roots down into that marvelous love and be planted within your power and grace as we practice loving this world as you have loved this world. May we laugh harder because we have learned to let ourselves weep with you. May we see and know the name beauty because we have learned to bring the ugliness to you. Surprise and startle us. We're open to all the weird ways that you want to speak in us, to us, and through us. May we be peacemakers, joy bringers, truth tellers, status quo disruptors, wanderers, wanderers, and misfits of our time who never settle for the sit down and shut up life but rise up in your she who the sun sets free is free indeed, birthright of freedom. May we be the ones who come close to you because of our vulnerability and not because of our false certainties. Teach us to lay down our masks and pretenses. Keep our hands from rehanging the curtain veil of the Holy of Holies. Give us opportunities to practice mercy and courage this may backfire, but we're feeling bold. Call us to humility, confession, and repentance, even when pride feels more comfortable and superior. Teach us how to rest, how to abide, how to light candles and be satisfied. Don't let us get away with divorcing our prayers from our politics and policies and practices. May we love our neighbors. May we learn to sit with you in silence and know it is enough to know you, be known by you, and know ourselves. Teach us to pray, God, as you have always welcomed us to pray, fully human, fully yours, fully held, and fully loved. We will tell you the truth of our lives and of this world, and we will listen to the truth that you speak back to us, your truth of belovedness, of your justice, of your faithfulness, of love. And may we say, let it be so. Let it be in me.
So uh, prayer requests, words of Thanksgiving. Uh, we want to open it up uh, for that option now. Um, if you are participating there, um, I guess you can unmute and we can hear you somehow. Or, you know, uh, we'll do our best. But um, anybody have something they want to share or have prayed about um, today? Yeah, I see that Angie's going like this, pointing at pointing at Dan. <laughs> uh, let's 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 continue to pray for Dan and, and give thanks for um, some great news for him as well. But let's pray, loving God, we give thanks for um, Dan's recovery and a good report from his physicians. We pray for his continued healing, um, strength in his body and his spirit. And, um, and we pray for Angie as well and all those who are walking with him through this, this difficult time. Um, may he receive the love and support he needs and Angie as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. There's nothing else? Yes, there isn't? That's all. I'm over here. And Charlotte. Come here, Charlotte. Oh, she had a request. Yeah, she's like, hello. I guess it's okay. I don't know. Do you know how much is that dog in the window? What's that? So do you know how much is that dog in the window? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, just got a couple songs. Um, as we've talked about before, it's kind of, we're, a, we're a weird community. I think we can say that. Uh, it's fair. I think we all accept that label. Um, so it's often weird uh, and tough to... Uh, think of songs that work for us, but uh, these are two that it's been a while, um, but are songs that I think uh, help me in the processing of where we're at um, and who we are. Uh, so there you go. Got two for you today. Sing along if you know them. Don't worry if you don't. You can let this be a meditation time like we often do at this time uh, during virtual service too. On the mountain side, and I'd seek it out until the day I died. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I was found. I was found and determined being a child to be the child that she wanted. But I was 
was blind to every sign you left for me to find. And the truth became a tune that I held in my hand. And I wielded it but did not understand.
So we're in the midst of a series right now on critical thinking. And we're learning about what constitutes knowledge and uh, rational thought and what doesn't. And such a series raises the question, of course, what is ultimate knowledge? It's like Pontius Pilate's famous question to Jesus. What is truth? It's easy in a series like this to think, well, having the correct information. It's being able to discern what the facts are. And certainly there's some truth to that, no pun intended. But if ultimate truth and knowledge is meant to help us live well and to be whole and healthy people who bring light and love into the world, and I think it is, then ultimate knowledge is not epistemological, but ontological, meaning ultimate knowledge is not information but it's a way of being. Ultimate knowledge is love. Ultimate knowledge is a way of living in right relationship to others and being someone who brings light and love and, and beauty into the world around them. Again, ultimate knowledge is not epistemological, but ontological. Ultimate knowledge is not information, but it's a way of being. This was actually Paul's point from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where he tells the Corinthian church, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anybody who thinks, uh, anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. Sounds kind of esoteric and cryptic. What is he talking about? Well, Paul said this because there was a dispute in the Corinthian church over eating meat sacrificed to idols. Back, back then, any meat you bought in the marketplace had come from an animal that had been ritually sacrificed to a deity, like, depending on the city, I guess, it could have been Zeus or Jupiter or Apollo, Athena, whatever, Mithra, whatever. So you couldn't avoid buying meat that had come from this ritual sacrifice. And so because some Christians in the Corinthian church still believed in these deities, still believed in these idols, that they were real. They thought purchasing and consuming that meat was a way of engaging in idolatry. 
other Christians were atheists about such gods and goddesses. They no longer believed that these idols were anything at all, that Zeus and Jupiter and Apollo and Athena really weren't anything at all. So eating meat sacrificed to them wasn't an issue for them. This was one of the big tensions in the Corinthian church between you know, the meat eaters and the non-meat eaters, between those who believed in idols still and those who did not. In a way, those who didn't believe were as atheistic as one could be back then. In fact, the term atheist, atheos, originates from this time period and was the Greek and Roman term for Christians because most of them didn't believe in the pantheon anymore, didn't believe in the gods, meaning the Greco-Roman pantheon, including the divinity of the emperor, the Roman emperor himself, which was, of course, a big no-no and got many of them persecuted, thrown into the Colosseum and otherwise. And so Paul is addressing these so-called Christian atheists and telling them, be careful. Be careful that your knowledge doesn't make you unloving towards those who don't have your knowledge, who still believe in these gods. Paul was saying that because being the church, being a Christian, is not about everyone having the same information or the same knowledge or the same beliefs. But rather, it's about love and community and table fellowship. And so because of this, Paul tells the meat eaters not to eat meat around the non-meat eaters so as not to offend them with their liberties. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, he says. Knowledge and sophistication can make you proud. It can make you kind of arrogant, right? Uh, but love is ultimate knowledge. So Paul was saying, look, you all can have your own beliefs in these matters. Just don't destroy each other over this stuff. Let those who still believe in those deities do so. Let those who don't do so. At the end of the day, love is all that matters. Love fulfills the law. God is love, right? I'm paraphrasing. That's the essence of what he's getting at, I think. Again, ultimate knowledge is not epistemological. It's ontological. We can be the most sophisticated philosopher in the world, right? But if we have not love, we are nothing. This is what Paul is saying, not just in Corinthians 8, but actually in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 as well, the so-called love chapter, where he says, if I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, if I understand all mysteries and, and have all knowledge, of course, that's a, that's a tall order, right? But have not love. I'm nothing, he says. I'm nothing more than a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. It's pretty, it's pretty strong language. Love is ultimate knowledge. Love is ultimate truth. And this is really about the aesthetics of our beliefs. Paul was focusing less on the specifics of what we believe, more on the aesthetics of our beliefs, which is an idea I'm getting from Barry Taylor, who is kind of a friend of ours. Uh, what is aesthetics? Well, it's the study of beauty and what constitutes beauty. What makes something beautiful? What do we mean when we say something or someone is beautiful or elegant? Historically speaking, aesthetics has to do with the study of art and architecture, but it can be about anything, including religion. If the aesthetics of what we believe or don't believe are not creating love and beauty around us, then are we really as enlightened as we think we are? 
What matters is not what you believe, but what are the aesthetics of your beliefs? Do your beliefs enhance or detract beauty from the world? Does, do they ennoble and, and enrich your lives and ennoble and enrich, and enrich the lives of those around you? If so, good. If not, then something needs to change. Aesthetically speaking, atheism and theism can be very similar as they are both about uh, beautifying life, even though they obviously believe and hold very different ideas. Atheism beautifies life by saying, since all we have is right here, right now, let's make the most of it. Since there's nothing beyond this life in this world, let's really pour ourselves into this thing called life for the short time that we have. Since there's no one on high looking out for us, let us look out for each other. Since meaning is not giving, given, Let's create our own meaning and thereby really affirm life and love for the sake of life and love itself. Not because some deity tells us to or incentivizes us with, with rewards and punishments. That's not really love anyway. For love to really be love, it must be freely given, not coerced or something. That you could say are the aesthetics of atheism in brief. But theism too can be a way of beautifying life. Theism says, Life is beautiful and meaningful because we are the beloved children of God. We were made for a purpose and therefore our lives have meaning. We are deeply loved by our creator and, and made in his or her image, their image, to put it in the language of Genesis. And therefore we should see each other as divine image bearers, which means that we should see the dignity and the value of all people everywhere as beloved children of God or other less traditional forms of theism like pantheism would say, we are all connected to the source, the one, the, the, the transcendent origin of all life and being. And therefore everything and everyone has innate value and beauty and worth, right? That you could say are some of the aesthetics of theism. And you can see how both atheism and theism can be equally meaningful ways of beautifying life. This, this experience of being here now, being human. Aesthetically, they're very similar because they're both about affirming the same things, love, and life, and beinghood, and the mysteries, intrinsic to all of them. As Peter Rollins likes to say, I don't quote him that much, some of you are smiling. How you believe what you believe matters far more than what you believe. How you believe, the aesthetics of your belief, how you believe what you believe, the lived reality of your beliefs are what you really believe. This is like what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians when he says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anybody who claims to know something about God's whatever, they do not yet have the necessary knowledge. Ultimate knowledge is not epistemological, but it is ontological. Ultimate knowledge is not information, facts. It is a way of being, a way of being fully human, which for me means being fully present, fully aware of our connection to each other and to the greater cosmos. And I'm not saying that's easy to maintain. It's from one moment to the next, I claim to be living in that 
total awareness all the time. I'm not. Ultimate knowledge is, is experiential. It's existential. It's, it's phenomenological. It's ontological. Ultimate knowledge is things like love. It's, it's a deep and abiding sense of gratitude. It's, it's awe. It's, it's wonder. Awe and wonder for, for all that being in, in, entails. Whatever beliefs or ideas or, or philosophical, philosophical or religious or theological convictions do that for us, whatever gives us those experiences and make us carriers of those experiences to each other, bringing light and love into the world, this is ultimate truth. This is ultimate knowledge. So as we continue on in this series on critical thinking, next we're going to look at fallacies. Let's remember what ultimate knowledge really is. With that said, let us get up and we'll go over to our communion table. For those of you who are watching uh, virtually, uh, now is the time where we'll receive communion. We're going to gather around the table of the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's go over that. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, gave thanks, and said, this is my body, broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup. And after blessing it and giving thanks, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let us receive now the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Hello, player. All right, so that concludes the formal part of our service together. And we believe the Lord's Supper is a robust meal and table fellowship together. And so with that, we're going to engage in brunch. Thank you for all of you who joined us virtually. You're welcome to come by if you're available. But otherwise, go in peace, friends. Let's eat. <laughs>